Hey, it's the FinTech Newscast. My name is John, and with me as always is our crypto gambler, Steve. How you doing? Oh, you know me, John, slinging crypto left and right, losing money left and right. When you're not at the uh, poker tables. When I'm not losing money at the poker table, I'm losing money <laughs> yeah. on, on, on Coinbase and other places. Yeah, that's me. One, one way or another. Well, you can't yeah. help being down these days. I think, no, uh, no, you, you, you can't. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah. So what's what's your, your take now? Buy the dip, wait around, ride the wave. What metaphor are you going to use for this moment? Well, you know, I'm a long-term investor, so I, I don't see any change as far as uh, what I think will happen in the future over the next uh-huh. few years. I think it's just a, another dip that, that we see that occasionally, uh, frequently in the crypto markets. That's just uh, my guess. I, I don't think it'll stay down forever. I think the use case, the fundamental things that are getting worked on by uh, crypto and institutions is still the same prospects overall. Maybe we'll see some of the meme stuff like Dogecoin and, and those things that aren't working on any solutions. Mm-hmm kind of drift away, maybe, I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure the Solanas and the Avalanches and the ones that are working on problem solving, uh, maybe, you know, even the Ripple, I think is holding on better, which means only in half uh, of their right. value, uh, just based on they're having some kind of business model, some kind of plan to address pain points and create useful software. So basically hodl for now and then focus on the coins or protocols that actually HODL solve a real business problem. For life. That's an L HODL at the life. end. That, 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 should be, that, that should be my, my tattoo on, 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 my, on my belly right here. Hodl for life. <laughs> and you see the, the new announcements are still coming out from, from institutions. I forget, um, a really poorly timed announcement from, I think it was Nomura, saying that they're going to uh, support crypto. And, you know, obviously those have been in the works for some time, mm-hmm. but I, I think that the, the little bit of mainstreaming one byte at a time, like Fidelity saying they're going to support 401k on the, well, the few employers that will feel like they can, they can do that, but it will be little by little, mm-hmm. uh, a company here, a product there, uh, credit card rewards that offer crypto are just starting to really roll out. That mainstreaming is is still going to happen, I think. And if you hold a Terra or the Luna and all of that, then may, maybe not so much. That maybe probably so won't much. come back. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's, that's pretty risky. Gone, gone forever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Could be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the people that are supporting crypto and building that infrastructure we're talking about are very important. And fortunately, we're happy to have someone in that space today with us. We have Seamus Donahue, the VP of Strategic Alliances at Medico. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. First, I you know, I have to ask the name Medico. Is that was that like Meta Company or is that is that some like the founder's initials? How, how did that name come about? It's M-E-T-A-C-O, by the way, for our listeners. You know, I, I wish I had a very snappy story when when, when the, the name was 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 uh, you know thought of originally, but we've had that name as a company name for twenty since twenty fifteen. But uh, obviously, you know, there's been Meta has been the hot thing, and just a little anecdote. I mean, when uh, prior to Facebook's announcement, we were inundated with uh, with lawyers you know, trying to purchase our, our URL or basically the name of the company, 
um, without disclosing what was happening. And then a week later, you know, Meta was announced, and you know, Facebook's new brand. So clearly, we <laughs> right place, right time. But uh, it was it's been in the works since since 2015 for us. Ah, I see. Okay, so no no plans to change the name or <laughs> Meta buying you out. That could fund you for two or three years. Extend the well, runway. We can, we can always come back with the right offer. We're, we're here. Oh, there you so, go. Yeah. Add, add another few zeros. I think you'll find this to be a most unreasonable <laughs> counter offer. Uh, okay, great. Precisely. Well, you guys are, well, have been building since 2015 the infrastructure to support cryptocurrencies, blockchain products uh, with large companies. Am I describing that right? I think it's perfect. Um, yeah, so give a bit of background. So, you know, digital assets, we view, view the digital asset space as representing you know, a $350 trillion opportunity when you look at the, the full value chain, meaning we believe eventually that the you know, future, all traditional financial assets, be that capital markets and native, native digital assets will eventually manage on chain. So Mitaka was formed the idea that this nascent asset class of um, I say cryptocurrencies, crypto assets would have, would be adopted by mainstream financial participants and would be increasingly regulated. And those institutions uh, would need secure, compliant, scalable, flexible ways to manage custody. Um, and the existing existing let's say core infrastructure core infrastructure stack was not built for purpose. So that was really where Mentaco came in, and we basically have a, a suite of products where it really enable a bank to. Um, let's say deliver all forms of kind of the, the baseline of their institutional stack or to deliver all forms of, of custody. Let's say in the multiple flavors it comes in. And we have a security model that layers on top of their stack, which is really about, uh, you know, eliminating any single point of failure. You know, when you look at the retail space, it's, you know, you or I could have a, have a, you know, a, a Litra Nano or a Trezor and you know we make all the decisions but you, you can't have that one person making all the decisions in the institutional concept context around any process so it's really about delivering a, a security model where there's no single point of failure every process across every every let's say action be that a transaction or setting up setting up users or establishing any workflow is subject to distributed approval so that's really one of our uh, strong usps and that's really what as firm as banks build in the space that's really been um we're, we're really shining. Banks need that sort of infrastructure. USP, did you say? Yeah, USP. Ultimate selling, you know, unique selling proposition. Yes, yeah. Oh, no, I like ultimate. That sounds <laughs> like the That's ultimate brand. fintech yeah. newscast. We might change our name. That's the UFN. Really yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it seems like everything can be hacked into these days. What What can you do? to be you know, more bulletproof than what everyone else is trying to do and, and, and address security? I mean, there's many approaches. I mean, I think the starting point is ensure what I was just speaking about, making sure there's no single point of failure. So you can do that, the, we do that at the soft levels. I mean, we're a software company um, and we do the software layer, meaning, you know, there's what you typically see in most applications is there's a an administrator role that has a, let's say a root and min key that can override well, any policy has a godlike sort of powers. And that's probably fine in your normal you know, software stack. But when you're managing private keys, you know, it, it, private digital assets are like bearer bonds. If it's in your possession, it's yours. So if you control the private key uh, or not even just control the private, hold the private key, but if you, if you compromise the use of the private key, 
you can steal the asset. So what's critical is ensuring no single person has has uh, power to do that, so to compromise its use. So ensuring all processes are fully distributed, meaning it's like you have multiple approvals for any action is critical. Uh, so that's the software layer, but obviously software can be hacked. So we we have a kind of a, let's say, a layered approach where we deploy that in secure infrastructure. Typically we'll leverage strategic partners like IBM, which has the delivers the infrastructure, let's say the hardware, which has the highest certification from the, let's say a hardware security module on their trusted execution environments has the highest certifications in the market. So that provides additional layer of security. And then again, there's you need to worry about that software that's deployed in that application, in that infrastructure, is, is it the software that you think it is or as the administrator or us compromised that? So IBM has, for example, has a, a secure image build service where you can get a third party to audit what we're releasing. Um, the, the, that party validates that what we say it is, is what's actually delivered. And then they transform that into a tamper-proof image and deploy that infrastructure. So then it's neither us nor the administrator can tamper that, that, that uh, the application so it's it's secure from both external and internal internal tampering is this the number one concern when you're talking with the new clients these uh these banks that are really well they have a lot of issues compliance security what are the other major concerns when you're talking to uh, a large regulated entity well i think when, that's a good question because i think there's perceptions in this reality i think the perception is that uh when they get into the space that there's a lot they have to decide on trade-offs. And I, I say that because there's, I think the way, way we look at the market, we've gone through a number of phases. I mean, cryptos, you know, was born out of the, you know, the financial crisis in 2008. It's been kind of a space up to now that's been dominated by fintechs and fintechs come with, I mean, you guys are in California, you know, the you know, Silicon Valley ethos, it's, uh, you know, move fast and break things to ship code and, um, you know, fix it later. You know, that was fine for the, 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 let's say, the experimental stage of the market when the market cap is relatively low, sub three trillion, basically. But now as the large financial institutions want to build, their interest is not three trillion. It's basically this $350 trillion opportunity down the road that all their assets move on there. So the, the, when they look, when they start thinking about how to build, build a crypto offering, you know, the, the fintech pitch is basically, well, this connected environment I just talked about is good enough. You don't need to worry about cold storage. That's old technology. It's dead. Um, you know, you, you probably don't need hardware. Again, that's old, old technology. We can leverage just what we call multi-party computing, where you distribute the keys instead of having them in secure infrastructure. Um, and then take consume things as a SaaS. And then, you know, instead of having on-prem, large institutions typically want to control their infrastructure. And then things like, you know, signing processes to make things easy. You can co-sign transactions with a vendor. So effectively, this fintech vendor will, will make things easier for you by, by co-signing transactions and managing your policies. Now, if you're a large institution, a lot of those are, well, effectively all of those are, are if they're presented as kind of binary choices, it's false dichotomy, they're all bad trade-offs. And when large institutions enter this market, those that will eventually be successful have to have a kind of a no compromise approach where they can get security. They don't give up on, on scalability and agility and flexibility because they need to be, the regular institutions, they need to make sure everything is, First principle is secure. They cannot go to the regulators and say, sorry, it was our mistake. It wasn't secure enough. It needs to be secure, compliant. And yet, given the pace of innovation we've seen, it also needs to be very flexible and agile because otherwise they'll fall quickly behind. So they need a solution that doesn't compromise any of those, delivers all of those. So 
um, that, that's really enables firms that really think beyond the starting point, which is a simple use case around simple crypto, you know, let's say crypto uh, currency on ramps, off ramps. So the ability to buy and hold uh, and custody crypto cryptocurrencies. That's the simple use case. Everybody does that. But as you as they think about their whole whole sort of infrastructure, their whole, all the assets moving on this infrastructure, that simple use case is going to get very complex over time, and there's going to be a lot of security critical requirements there. Uh, I noticed in the news recently that you guys are partnering with with the Arbor company uh, Brinks. What is the purpose of, of the partnership, and how, how did that come about? It's a good question because we're talking about technology, and I, but I, you know, I think most of this is you know, private keys live in this the technological world. But it's like I was when we're describing cold storage. I mean, that's one element of of that you do have real world infrastructure at times. Um, now, the Brinks Brinks Act comes at this from a different angle. So you can imagine a worst case scenario that your the all the infrastructure you store these private keys gets destroyed basically. Now you probably have redundant infrastructure, but you know hot failovers and these type of things. But again, let's assume worst case it all gets destroyed. You you, you cannot have that sort of catastrophic loss. So you know we and some what we what our infrastructure enables you to do is you know whatever whatever assets you're managing on your on in the infrastructure you can always back them up. Um, and the control of those assets is back is basically under the control of uh, you know smart cards, which are they themselves uh, HSMs. So those smart cards can be stored in distributed locations. So if basically the locations where you you have your infrastructure were wiped off the map for whatever reason, you lost you know all your infrastructure, you can always go and recover those smart cards and recover all your assets um, in new infrastructure. So that is exactly what where where Brinks comes in. It's like banks. If you look at banks, you know they used to have vaults. They manage cash and they manage you know precious metals and other other items of value for their clients. Sure. Banks often don't do that anymore. I mean, you see a lot of banks don't even have retail presence anymore. I mean, they may be rebuilding it, but they're certainly not building new vaults for for mm-hmm. cash and for gold bars. So often that sort of infrastructure is outsourced to companies like Brinks. And Brinks is a, a global company, although it's U.S. headquartered. They operate in all the major jurisdictions and they operate vaults in, in, in all the major financial centers around the world and many other jurisdictions. So what's very interesting about them is that, uh, you know, whether they're storing banknotes or they're storing gold bars or they're storing smart cards, which are the backup for your underlying, you know, crypto assets, it's effectively the same business model for them. It's, you know, secure logistics of moving it from the bank to the, the secure storage. Um, and then keeping it safe in storage. Uh, what they can offer in terms of the cryptos piece is they do that same sort of offering, but then, then they can also distribute those given their global presence and the, how they're effectively operate everywhere. You can say, well, I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket in terms of the backup, just in case something bad happens there. And I also want segregated teams at Brinks to handle the segregated cards. So you can have those cards in multiple locations, geographically distributed, completely segregated teams stored in, in separate vaults. And then if there's, they will pick them up from your site after you do, after you kind of launch the infrastructure, which we call an initial key ceremony, so that you launch the infrastructure and then you can manage all your assets in the infrastructure. And then the backup can go into multiple uh, storage sites with Brinks. They will take it from your site to their various sites that you specify, and it can stay there forever. But if there's ever a disaster, you can call them, they bring those back together and you can reconstitute all the assets so you can avoid 
kind of the worst case loss that could happen in you know an event of a cataclysmic infrastructure failure. Imagine that, say, 30 years ago, I could have, you know, I, I could have gathered my buddies in Boston and hit up a, a Brinks armor truck, aim it off with whatever, a few hundred K in cash. What would be the implications of my doing that for a Brinks armor truck now filled with crypto keys? Uh, one, you wouldn't, one, like you wouldn't know what they were, but the main point there is you wouldn't distribute them. You wouldn't have them all in the same truck going the same day in the same way. So again, right. there, would be, there would be a single point of failure if you ship them all in the same bags, the same vault, and indeed then it could be compromised. So the main point is um, they understand the risks of these being compromised all in the same place and oh. they'll have a logistics plan to, so like to a do those in a way that's D not, not cannot be attacked at one time. Pardon, yeah, distributed me? trucking technology. <laughs> Yeah, so, so to speak, yes, so to yeah. speak. It just tell it just demonstrates that there's you know there's a physical element here, right? You can't live all in the in the ether the whole time, and you need some sort of backup. I mean, it's technology, technology can fail. But I think you know you look that partnership. My background was you know 20 years in banking, and I left and I got into the commodity space, building trading platforms around uh, physical commodities like precious metals. And I met the Brinks guys then, so it was a natural. I understood their mod business model and I knew the people at Brinks and we started a conversation and, you know, went from there. And as it turns out, some of our clients were already leveraging their technology for exactly this purpose. So, yeah, so th this, this seems like basically uh, sort of the, the, the next step in, in, in cold storage. I know that a few other companies like uh, 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 Block, right? Jack Dorsey's company are working on cold storage, but um, what, what drove you guys to actually go this, what seems to me like an extra step. It seems like this is far, far and above beyond what the industry is actually doing now. So I would distinguish that this is not actually cold storage. So I think it's important mm. to understand this is not an operational um, setup. This is a this is a disaster recovery setup. I see. So th this is not about managing private keys for you. It's for managing the backup of your infrastructure. So it's it's just one more fail safe particularly when you talk to insurance market that basically if something goes wrong with your infrastructure that things can still be recovered so we we've innovated kind of on that back end with brinks now we do have innovation around cold storage and as i said cold storage typically is a very cumbersome process given it's you know it's the bank or the custodian is required to operate some sort of operationally physical process secure physical processes around keys which does sound like what brinks does but again um, you know, they could potentially do something like that, but that's not what we've collaborated with one at the moment. But we do, so I think there's relatively high hurdle in terms of managing the, those physical processes. And given, as I said, the banks have shut down their vaults, they're not used to managing physical materials anyway. It's, it's not the easiest startup. And typically what we see is institutions will start, given they're starting from a tabula rasa, from like a zero asset base, they'll start with a connected environment. And as assets grow, then one, they'll, they'll have a certain asset level and they'll, they'll have a certain bi a business case then to, dem to, to decide to invest in cold storage. Um, in the past, we've done the traditional cold storage as you described earlier, or rather our clients have done that with our infrastructure, with an air-gapped environment and connected environment. And you know, our, our, what we call harmonize our secure orchestration layer enables you to manage both, but the, the signing is offline. Um, but now we're, we're also now innovating on a, on a cold storage solution with one of our other partners with IBM where you can have a cloud-based storage, cloud-based uh, cold storage, where but all the signing is fully offline. So this is a unique proposition where you don't need to manage physical vaults. You don't need to manage, um, you know, HSMs in an air-gapped environment. You can manage your your smart cards, which are they themselves, uh, IBM HSMs, and manage those in an air-gapped environment and the infrastructure, and you have a probably a more secure infrastructure. Um, 
than than any other competing offer in the market, particularly because you take out the the physical and human element of managing like an HSM in a vault. And mm -hmm. you can imagine the risks of cold storage uh, when COVID hit and people were no longer allowed to even leave their apartments, let alone go to a you know secure facility to, to get a transaction signed. So the, it really, we think this is a kind of a paradigm shift in the whole cold storage offering market. So I have to ask you about the uh, this big price drop. Have you seen any reaction from your clients at all? Like a delaying, uh, let's uh, wait another week in, on implementation or, or volumes or anything like that? You know, no, we haven't. I mean, we, um, you know, we, we focus primarily on the kind of largest, let's say, tier one financial institutions and, and now, now increasingly more broadly the financial sector as a whole. And I think good or bad, I mean, banks are, are slow moving beasts. Their plans are not, you know, subject to one week variances. Um, you know, some of our early clients you know, started building in 2018. And if you remember 2018, that was a brutal, um, you know, it was a crypto winner, it was a brutal bear market. Um, so I think their eye is on the kind of the longer term opportunity rather than, you know, is it is crypto today 2 trillion or one week later, you know, 1.3 trillion. It's been a pretty brutal sell off, but I, I would, I would, I would step back and say, this hasn't been, this hasn't been a unique crypto sell off. You know, if you look, basically we've shifted you know, to your earlier discussion about, you know, buy and hold, I think we're seeing kind of very significant shifts in the backdrop to, to what's supporting risk assets. You know, 2008 was when crypto assets were born and we went through all sorts of monetary, uh, you know, extraordinary monetary interventions, uh, quantitative easing, you know, extraordinary expansion of the monetary base. And now that's all going into reverse. We're seeing quantitative tightening. Now that isn't just hitting crypto, it's hitting all risk assets. I think crypto is kind of the, the, the outer limit of risk assets. So it, it is suffering broadly, but I think you can look at uh, your, you know, all those high-flying tech stocks, you know, you know the ARC, ARC, and ARC uh, ETF, for example, have had dramatic sell-offs. So this is really, uh, fixed income similarly has had dramatic sell-offs. So this is really about risk assets and I think re repricing liquidity in the market overall as opposed to a, credit, uh, a crisis in crypto markets. Yeah, if, you're, if you've started in 2015, uh, yeah, you've seen a, a few ups and downs already, so. No, no long-term change and and no short-term effect, which is uh, good for you then. One guarantee is there's ups and downs in this market, and that can be wild. So, <laughs> you say as for the company, for me personally, I'm wiped out, but the company is going to be fine. <laughs> the company will be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's Seamus Donahue, the VP Strategic Alliances at Medico. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news, and thank you for listening.